electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to Power Lounge in progress. Let's go to uh, Kayla Tausche, who is with us for to sum up the details of what the president said and for a little bit more context. Uh, there was certainly um, uh, enough said, I think, Kayla, about inflation, uh, but a lot said about other things that are of a more, uh, let's just say, partisan, um, non-economic feel. Right. I mean, Tyler, we heard from the president today much of the same message, the same drumbeat on inflation and what he plans to do, pointing fingers at corporate America, suggesting that his legislative package would go far in reducing costs. It's hard to see, though, as the data worsens, how this message lands any better with the American public, especially after this week we saw the Treasury Secretary on Capitol Hill asked about whether corporate greed and price gouging was responsible for inflation. She said as just simple supply and demand among consumers. And she did not dispute that there was not corporate greed that was contributing to that. So certainly, if you have the Treasury Secretary suggesting that, then it makes the message for the president a little bit harder. Then he was also talking about the work that the administration is doing to uh, unjam the supply chain. And certainly there has been a lot done to get containers off of ships and to get more semiconductor chips into this country. But as we look behind the, uh, the curtain of this report, we see it's really not that simple. Take used cars, for instance. White House officials tell me that uh, even though there have been more chips that have come in to make more cars, now there are other parts that are stuck in China because of COVID lockdowns or in Ukraine because of the war there. And so after three months of falling prices for used cars last month, the price of a used car went up again. So certainly there, is a, there are a lot of problems in this report. There's a lot of problems for the administration to tackle. The traditional message uh, is not going to be working here as the data just gets worse. Uh, but certainly we see the president uh, believes there is efficacy there. And so he's going to continue pounding the table. Tyler. All right, Kayla, thank you very much. Kayla Tausche reporting from Washington. Kelly. Let's check on these markets, which are off-session lows, but down across the board. The Dow's down 750 points. The low is about 100 points beneath that. The S&P is down 100, and the Nasdaq is down 376. So again, the Nasdaq is the hardest-hit component uh, sector. The selling is broad-based across consumer discretionary in particular. Tech and financials are also big laggards. These indices are on track for their worst week since January, uh, as you can see. The two-year Treasury yield soaring higher today to its highest level since 2008 after that hotter-than-expected CPI report. This is seen as one of the most sensitive measures of Fed rate hikes, so the market is expecting more now. The 10-year yield, for its part, climbing to about 3.15%. Our CNBC market reporters are standing by with more this hour. Bob Bassani on the stock sell-off, Frank Holland at the Nasdaq focusing on tech, and Rick Santelli on bonds. And the spike in the VIX. Bob, let's start with you. Bottom line here, Kelly, is it's been a pretty awful day, but we have had a very modest little rally off of the lows. We were down to 3,900 about, oh, an hour, an hour and a half ago. And that, interestingly, was the old low that we hit 
back in May. That would be the 52-week low. So everybody's looking to stay above 3,900. At least the bulls are. Why did we get a modest rally? Well, two things. Uh, oil rallied a little bit. Oil was 118. It went to about 120. So energy stocks sort of poked their heads up. Uh, a, a few names uh, like uh, uh, EOG, Chevron, for example, were modestly positive uh, during the day. You see some of them have moved back down. But there's one group. This is the new tech. Oil is the new tech, essentially. The other was consumer staples, many of which modestly went into the green. So Procter, um, Hershey's, uh, 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 Kroger, for example, uh, all in the green. That's the group that helped. But don't kid yourself. A lot of sectors are round trips, I call them here, head and shoulders. They were uh, moving up at the end of May, uh, moved up 10% or so, and are now back down again. Those are new lows today on the transports, for example, uh, new lows on the financial sector. Goldman was at a new low. Uh, Wells Fargo was at a new low. And new lows for uh, REITs, uh, Simon Property Group, Vernado, uh, all at 52-week lows. Uh, interestingly, a couple of uh, big movers to the downside, payment systems. Uh, I watch payment systems. They're sort of proxies for consumers' health overall. The theory here is people will spend less if they think things are going to be difficult. Uh, and you see PayPal, Block, uh, Affirm, MasterCard, all weaker than the overall market today. Another group I watch a lot for sentiment are asset managers. You might think, what have they got to do with anything? But uh, if the Economy turns down notably. There's often less trading that actually goes on. So T. Rowe Price, BlackRock, Franklin, and Janice Week today. So S&P here, guys, we're watching 3,900 would be the old closing low on May 19th. We're above that right now. Back to you. All right, Bob, thank you very much. Let's go over to NASDAQ now. Frank Holland, tech stocks down more than 3%. Frank? Hey there, Tyler. You know, DocuSign's having the biggest negative impact on the NASDAQ 100. After a miss on profit, very soft billings guidance. That's money they expect to receive from customers in the near future. And CEO Dan Springer saying that inflation would hit its full-year results and those inflation concerns. CPI coming in at a 40-year high. The 10-year spiking above 3.1%, just broadly hitting tech. Let's take a look at the XLK ETF covering big tech, the WCLD cloud computing ETF, and even HACK, the cyber ETF, all hit hard by that 10-year spike. You see the reaction earlier this week and then later this week is that 10-year spikes. Cybersecurity before today becoming kind of a consensus defensive play. Not sure if that narrative still works now. What we call the FANG names, also not immune. Amazon getting hit the hardest. Their online shopping and logistics business generates just about two-thirds of revenue, giving them the most exposure to the consumer and that falling consumer confidence. Google outperforming this group, at least, down more than 2%. And, of course, we have to look at what's working today on the NASDAQ. Chinese Internet stocks, Pinduoduo, the best performer in that group. Goldman saying just yesterday it's time to get back into those Chinese stocks. That's before the new Shanghai lockdowns. Also, Kraft Heinz, consumer staples generally seen as having the pricing power to pass along rising costs due to inflation. Kelly, back over to you. Frank, thank you very much. Let's turn now to the bond market where yields are rising. The VIX is near 30. Rick Santelli, what does it all imply? You know, rising is what balloons do. Zoom, zoom, zoom is what this inflation is doing. It's like a rocket ship. You know, I brought out the numbers this morning pretty much across the board, whether it was CPI month over month, year over year, whether it's University of Michigan, new all-time low in confidence, not to mention the one-year and five- to ten-year inflation all hotter than expected. And if you look at a two-year note yield, it's up 23 basis points just on the session. As Kelly pointed out, back to 2008, should we close here? We're up nearly 40 basis points on the week. Look at a ten-year. A ten-year hovering now at 314 is up over 10 basis points on the day, 20 basis points on the week. 
Twos to 10 spread. Just today alone is about 14 basis points flatter. It's nearly 20 basis points flatter on the week. These are unbelievably large numbers. And if you look to boon deals across the sea, it didn't fare much better. It's just as responsive to our numbers. We've led the charge on inflation. Everybody else, to some extent, is catching up. Look at a boon for one week. It's up 25 basis points on the week. And finally, the dollar index. It wasn't that long ago. Looked like we're going to be at 101, maybe going back down even further. And what is it doing instead? 104, it is zooming. It's up nearly a penny on the day. It's up nearly two cents on the week. These are huge moves. And the reason is clear. Inflation is back and it doesn't seem to be going away. Kelly, back to you. Rick, thank you very much, Rick Santelli. All right, CNBC contributor Josh Brown on the Halftime Report made an impassioned statement to investors saying the market has no real direction and today's sell-off needs to be taken very seriously. You could say whatever you want about earnings estimates being fine. That's because everything costs more. You have to spend more money than you had to six months for the same crap that you're buying. How do you not understand that? And this idea that, well, the consumer is still spending, they have no choice. They have no choice. So listen, this is not complex. We've been in the bear market since the spring. When we broke below the 200-day moving average, we had the yield curve inversion right around the same time. It may not be a technical recession today for the consumer. They feel like it's a recession. And you see that everywhere you look. So I understand that unemployment, headline unemployment is good and people could find jobs and that's great. But if their cost of living is rising in excess of what they're making at their job for them, it feels like a recession. Keith Fitzgerald, Fitzgerald Group Principal, Ron Insana, Schroeder Senior Advisor, CNBC contributor. Gentlemen, welcome. What do you say to that, uh, Keith, that uh, that Josh Brown just said? It may not technically meet the... uh, the, the parameters or the definitional uh, cues of a recession. And the market may not meet the parameters of what is a bear market, but it feels that way. And I have to say, I agree with him. It feels that way. Well, I, you know, it's funny watching Josh. Uh, he is a smart guy, and I wanted to come out of my chair and go, go, Josh. He's right. If the Americans are feeling like their wallet's pinched, it doesn't matter one end of the penny to the other what the government says, what the inflation print is, what the latest report is, what Yellen says. Who knows what Powell's going to say next? What the average American knows and feels in their wallet is my breakfast costs 60% more than it did 12 months ago. My gasoline is more than doubled. I now have to worry about getting to work, putting a roof over my head, paying for my food. Where's my insurance? You name it, they got to worry about it. That's why the numbers are so bad. It's all about psychology, and Josh nailed it. Ron? Uh, you know, Josh, Josh's performative elements notwithstanding, I, I don't fundamentally disagree with this perspective, except I would not say that we are yet in a recession, technical or real. I think that, you know, the, the markers for a recession, inflation notwithstanding, are a meaningful jump in unemployment and a contraction in GDP. So yes and no. I mean, it's, it absolutely feels bad. But we did have a contraction in GDP in the first quarter. Yeah. And, you know, in, in a weird way, that was that was it, a, a technical contraction. I, I, mean, I agree. So, uh, that was not it, you can't have a recession when you're hitting new lows in unemployment. That's just not consistent with the definition, the actual definition of recession. What I fear is that the Fed is going to pound this nail until we actually go into a recession. It may be a deeper one than we're Bingo. expecting. The yield curve just suggested is flattening. The stock market's falling. 
Certain commodity prices like lumber have plunged. So we are getting leading indicators that an inflation, that a recession may well be in the cards. And I think that's what the worry is. The problem for consumers is not a weak economy. It is rising prices. And so right. in that sense, it's an inflationary problem that's going to be solved, sadly, I think, with a recession. Keith, if I am an investor who has held on, uh, I'm diversified. I've, I've got my, my money in a, in a, in a plan that, that I felt comfortable with. Should I be, are we in a bear market? Should I be considering selling or have I missed that opportunity to take capital off the table, which is probably what I should have done on January 4th of this year? Well, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. That's what they say. And the other saying that comes to mind is no good deed goes unpunished, right? I mean, you know, if you look at history, I think the thing you need to ask yourself is how much time do I have in front of me, not where has this market been? Because one thing we do know, and history makes abundantly clear, Tyler, is that this stuff, as bad as it's going to get, eventually passes. So what I like to do is when I'm in doubt, I'm going to zoom out. I'm going to look for the very best companies I can find. I think you're probably behind the eight ball if you want to sell now, unless you've got something you absolutely have to generate the capital for. Otherwise, I'd play offense. I'd be looking at where we're going to be in three and five years from now. That's hard to imagine. It's tough. It's scary. This feels bad. But the psychology of is you play to win. You don't play not to lose. Ron, let's go back to the Fed's policy mistake here. I mean, is there anyone who still thinks the bigger mistake would be not tightening enough right now? Because this is, you know, what we learned this morning is pretty bad. The consumer <laughs> sentiment report is terrible. It's at a record low. This is like a 75-year-old series. You know, real wages are down. Real spending is down. Consumer sentiment and expectations are down. I mean, it, it's hard to see why the Fed tightening would make this worse instead of it could have potentially headed it off and, and helped it not get this bad in the first place. Well, I can't, and you and I have gone around on this a couple of times. I mean, it's like, I don't know that, that raising interest rates would solve any of the underlying issues that caused inflation in the first place. And, I, and I'm not going to back away from that perspective. I've been wrong on where inflation is going. Look, the Fed could raise rates 100 basis points at every future meeting, and it's still not going to get you more semiconductors. It's still not going to get you more labor. It's still not going to get you more cars or more homes. In fact, quite the opposite will happen. So it, it, look, they're, they're going to engage ultimately in either a Volcker or a Vietnam style strategy where you destroy the village to save it. And it, it, I don't know what the administration or the federal government could do other than create some sort of Marshall plan uh, to boost supplies of materials and finished goods that are in short supply. And then that's not a near term fix. So as one of my colleagues once said, you know, if all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so the Fed's going to keep hitting the nail until it appears to work. Yeah, I guess, but, and Keith, maybe you can weigh in on this as well, but the fact that we, let's just call it what it is, overstimulated in response to the pandemic is why we have these problems in every part of the economy and not just in energy right now. Well, I think Ron's, being, Ron's right on it, and I think he's underemphasizing the significance of his point. The Fed can raise rates until the cows come home, and it will do nothing to address the underlying fundamental problem. We've got to get money out of the system. This is not being caused by too little money. It's being caused by too much money. We've got to get people back to work. Maybe there's a modern version of CCC that can be formed and go immediately into our infrastructure, stuff that is going to improve supply chain logistics. They've already begun working on And then finally, they can immediately reverse things 
politics aside, policies aside, transformation aside, they can get back to American energy production. It would at least make a dent in the gasoline, and that would go directly to American consumers. So I think Ron's point is really interesting. The Fed has got a policy problem. It's not got a rates problem. It's not got a risk problem. They can't back away from this because that's going to be tantamount to admitting they've made two huge errors in a row, transitory, and now what are they going to do about it, and they're behind the eight ball. And on that note, we're still more time, Kelly. There, there's so many points to make on this, and and, and I, I partly agree with Keith. But the problem is, um, there's no. We don't need a back to work policy. We have more jobs than we have available workers. We need more people. And again, the Fed can't print people, right? That that's a real issue. So that's you know a labor market issue. You, the, the Fed can't right. make computer chips. They printed so, too many jobs. You, All right. you mean 3D printers can't printed. make people? <laughs> yeah. God, That's where Elon Musk is going to rescue us with his bots. Yeah. All right, guys, thank you very much. Appreciate it. What was that statistic you had in the last hour, or maybe it was at the top of this hour, about the number of weeks in a row that... Yes, for the markets. For the Dow, this is down 10 weeks out of the last 11, and we have not had a stretch like that since the Great Depression. That was the number. Unfortunately. And that's from our desk. So thank you to Peter Shacknow, I think, who, uh, who had that for us today. And with the market selling off on that hotter than expected CPI report, let's take a closer look at what the charts are saying. Are we anywhere near a bottom now? Jessica Inskip is director at Options Play. Let's just run through it, Jessica. You got any glimmers of hope for us? Yeah, I'd love to run through it. So I, I think it's important to take a step back and look at the overarching picture of the S&P 500. And we want to focus on a broad-based market because that's where we can see true trends and health of the economy, especially from a technical perspective. So what I wanted to share with you is a five-year chart with a weekly moving average. And if you notice that weekly moving average, every time the market hits a bottom, it actually briefly goes below this moving average before it rallies and goes above. And additionally, whenever the market is above this moving average, it's a secular bull market overall. So think think about the way the Fed's even looking at the market when they're trying to understand raising interest rates and all. We're still up from those lows from that pandemic. And overarchingly, even though it's a, a bear market, it's a secular bull market, if you look at the overall picture as the S&P 500 is over that 200 weekly moving average. All right, so that's one sort of aspect. And where does this, where, where's the takeaway? Yeah. So the takeaway is, is, where are we spotting the bottom? So if it's going to hit, if anytime the market rebounds and it gets back into rally, rally department or rally territory is when it goes above this line. So since this is a calculation, if we find an area of consolidation, so the S&P 500 right now is supporting 3,900, we have more value there those averages are going to intersect at some point. So right now I'm spotting 3,500, but I'm hoping that the, we'll find an area of support like we defended today around 3,900 that will move that average up. And as soon as those lines intersect, which is the market and the 200 weekly moving average, then that's where I will call a bottom. All right. So you're not ready yet. And uh, again, we see you know potential downside there, but also some uh, areas right here that could help us avoid maybe going back to 3,500. Quickly on energy, what are your thoughts there? 
Yeah, I think that's something important to to watch out for because what's really contributing to inflation, like everyone's been saying repeatedly, is that hot labor market and high energy costs. So energy is a great sector. We look at XLE. It's something that's definitely performing well. However, for the overall broader markets to perform better, we certainly need to see a pullback in energy. So it's something to watch, but something to be bullish in on the short term. And Jessica, can you just Give us a quick read on Apple as well. I'm sorry that I've asked you to do every all of this quickly. It's, I don't know. It just feels like that kind of day. We want as, you know, as much information about the, the market as possible. Apple is kind of a bellwether here, as much like you say, absolutely energy is too. What are the Apple charts telling you? Yeah, Apple's a great stock to watch. It makes a huge component of the market. And keep in mind, you know, even if we're comparing the market over and all to the Great Depression and looking for those downturns that happened prior, there's new securities in the S&P 500 as well. And one of those is Apple that makes up a huge chunk of the major indices. Um, but Apple is something that's easily tradable right now is what I'm going to call it. It finds areas of support and resistance. And that right now is 137 to 150. And it's like a ball bouncing from floor to ceiling. So if you're looking for something to trade, Apple is is a really great one right now because it's just not falling below that 137 area and not going above 150. So it's, it's just something to watch and something that could be uh, interesting to trade short term. All right, Jessica, thanks. We'll leave it there. We appreciate it. All right, ahead, um, more on the sell-off today. The Dow down about uh, 700 points, plus the inflation ripple effects, how rising prices are hitting home builders and every component that goes into constructing a new home. Some of the biggest laggards in the S&P 500, home builders ETF today. There you see their names, including Lenar, Lenar, Floor and Decor, DR Horton, and Mohawk. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Welcome back. Today on Power Lunch, we're launching our housing cost calculator. Every week, we'll walk you through different rooms and parts of a home and look at how prices have shifted in the past year as inflation makes its way through the economy. Today, we're taking a look at the structure of the house and we'll look at the kitchen as well. So let's kick it off with the materials used, perhaps the most discussed, lumber. Lumber prices have come down sharply in the past few weeks, but over the year, they're still up 22%. Roofing costs are up 15% since before the pandemic. Almost every kind of concrete is up 7% or more, and insulation for your home is actually up 17%. The industry is saying that material, labor, and shipping delays won't normalize anytime soon, i.e. don't expect these prices to reverse course 
quickly. So moving on to another part of the house, let's examine the kitchen. Stoves are up 14% over the past year. Refrigerators up 9%. Cabinets up 13% and countertops soaring 11% since 2021. The National Kitchen and Bath Association telling us plywood is harder to get because prices are up fourfold. Material availability continues to be an issue and contractors are resorting to clients' third or fourth options. They also note those increased labor costs, which are further pressuring prices. Next week, we'll bring you, Tyler, the bathroom and the bedroom. I, I, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. We won't bring it to you, but we can tell you uh, what's been going on there. I mean, every one of those categories was a double-digit increase. And, and fairly consistent. E even the, despite the fact that lumber has come down off of its highs from last year. Yes. Oh, man. I was, yeah. it's, it's breathtaking. It All is. Right. Ahead on Power Lunch, more on the market sell-off. Will the tech wreck continue? We'll speak with Citi's global head of investments on why they think the group will rise again. But first, as we had to break, check out the cloud stocks. DocuSign leading the declines. I just did a DocuSign an hour ago. Down more than 23%. More on that name in three stock lunch ahead. Plus, FinTech, Slam, Coinbase, and Block leading the declines there. Power Lunch will be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. All right, welcome back. The Dow remains about 700 points, 726 lower uh, after inflation came in hotter, much hotter than expected uh, in this morning's report. Is a recession inevitable? And what would that mean for your investments in the months ahead? Let's talk to Citi's Global Wealth's Chief Investment Officer, David Balin. David, welcome back. Good to have you with us. I note in your notes that you say you think the economic expansion can continue if, one, the consumer remains healthy, and two, the Fed can moderate its current aggressive stance against inflation. Well, we got a consumer report today that indicated that the, that the, that the consumer was not feeling particularly ebullient. And number two, why would the Fed moderate its aggressive stance against inflation in light of today's numbers? Well, today's numbers actually met our expectations because the cost of energy and the cost of agriculturals was you know, ex exceptionally high this past month and probably has peaked. And we don't expect inflation, by the way, to come down until more than you know six and a half percent by uh, by the end of this year. So the only reason for the Fed to actually pause is because a lot of the increases of interest rates have already been priced into the market, and right now we already see the effect that that's having on consumer, it's on having on uh, home prices, on new mortgage applications, 
And if you think about it, that's already having a, a positive impact on the supply and demand of all other goods and services, right? When you think about it, we're seeing stores that are full of inventory. We're actually seeing Target report that they actually have too much inventory. And we're also seeing consumer demand come down. So the question is, can the Fed be patient to allow inflation to naturally subside, or are they going to crush consumer demand and cause unemployment as a way of getting to the same end? If you have, uh, as you say there, consumer demand coming down modestly, as evidenced by what Target said earlier this week, uh, and and other other things like that, doesn't that sort of tell you that a recession is is a higher than the normal probability? We also agree that it is a higher than normal pro- probability. The question is whether or not the Fed thinks that that is absolutely necessary, right, to deal with this inflation. Mm-hmm. The critical thing to look at when whether there's going to be a, infl- a recession or not is actually whether or not we're going to see negative growth, actual destruction of, jo- of job employment. Uh, because right now, right, consumer demand leads employment. We expect employment to naturally, you know, the, the heated employment to naturally come down. And if all of that occurs and the Fed doesn't raise rates more than, let's say, another 100 to 150 basis points, we think that that can be tolerated because it's priced into the market now. If the Fed, however, says we've got to attack inflation, it's way too high, the only way to do that is through a blunt instrument, which is both reducing interest rates and taking liquidity out of the bond market. Mm-hmm. And if it chooses to do that, you know, that is a recession. And we consider you know, the, uh, the, the middle of the road scenario to be about a 50% probability and recession to be about a 35% probability, and that is a high level of risk that there could be a recession. So, so, I'm sorry to interrupt. Please finish your thought. The other thing I wanted to mention is that, you know, this idea, you know, that a recession, right, will be deep and long and all of that, I also think is something that everyone assumes. It definitely will have an impact on on stock Mm -hmm. prices for a short term, you know, but the fact of the matter is that from a consumer standpoint, yeah. you may see a very relatively you know, narrow dip in the, in the markets. Give me a quick 45 seconds on, on if, I, if I buy these hypotheses of yours, what I should do with my capital right now. Well, this is going to be a little bit contradictory. So first of all, we think that bonds are back, meaning that we are at or near peak interest rates literally you know, today. You know, we, we hit the all lows that we hit uh, a few, few weeks ago again today. And if you think about all of what we just talked about, the economy slowing, the Fed potentially increasing rates too much, then bonds will actually be a great place to be because they doubled in yield a year ago. They doubled it again in yield this year. And every single time that we've seen from 1963 till now, both stocks and bonds go down in value at the same time. And that's only happened five times. We have seen bonds appreciate and actually do very well. And the reason why people have to get invested in bonds, in our opinion, is that their cash could lose, in in our scenario, 10% of its value over the next two years. So by buying bonds, they avoid that. Second of all, there are parts of the market, right, that are undervalued and parts where growth and profitability are going to continue all the way through whatever happens. For example, areas like pharmaceuticals. And those should be put into portfolios now as well. David, thank you very much for your insights today. We appreciate it. Have a good weekend. David Balin. Thank you. You bet. Coming up, we have more on today's market sell-off and the sectors getting hit the most by rising inflation. But first, check out some of the media names which are actually leading the declines in the S&P, like Warner Brothers Discovery, down more than 14% right now, I should say, down 4.5%. Paramount Global, Walt Disney, even Comcast, lower on the day. We're back after this.
Welcome back to Power Lunch, everybody. Markets are selling off as inflation hits a fresh 40-year high. The S&P 500 right now down 2.3%, back to 39.25. And while stocks are falling, bond yields are rising with the 10-year at 3.15% and the two-year soaring to the highest level since 2008. There it is, trailing by only 10 basis points. These rising rates are further problems for housing stocks, which have already been hit hard by inflation. Builders and landlords taking a hit today. Diana Olick has more. She joins us from Mooresville, North Carolina, just outside Charlotte this afternoon. Diana? Yeah, Kelly, as if the home builders haven't been hit hard enough already, most of them down over 30% year to date. Take a look at the home building ETF. That's ticker symbol ITB. This includes both the big builders as well as home improvement retailers like Home Depot, Lowe's, Sherwin-Williams, all down about 4%, as are the big names like Lennar, DR Horton, and Pulte, all down 4% on the day. It's the broader market, but as you said, it is also rising mortgage rates. They took a dip back in May, started rising again in June, and today really took off. We hit 5.85%, more than 20 basis point rise today on the 30-year fix, that according to Mortgage News Daily. A year ago, it was around 3%. Now, also take a look at the big public landlords, American Homes for Rent and Invitation Homes. Those stocks are also getting hammered, even though you would think they would be kind of the opposite play. I'm here at a brand new community by American Homes for Rent, a public landlord now building its own homes. More than 5,000 in 16 markets over the last five years as demand and rent soar. But none of that appears to be helping the stock. As interest rates rise, it's an real estate is an interest rate sensitive industry, and the value of real estate is inverse to the interest rates. So all of real estate is down. We have actually performed better in the last uh, six weeks than the real estate industry as a whole. Even as inflation is hitting the housing market, investors are still pouring into single-family rentals. About $50 billion estimated this year alone, according to John Burns Real Estate Consulting. And rents for these single-family homes, they are up 13% year over year. Tyler? Wow. Diana, thank you very much. Diana Olick reporting from North Carolina. Coming up, today's three-stock lunch trading some of the biggest laggards today and this week, including former Wall Street darlings like Netflix and DocuSign. There you see them. That's uh, coming up next on Three Stock Lunch. Welcome back, everybody. Let's trade some of the worst performers today and for the week to see if any are buying on the pullback. And our next guest says they are. DocuSign is down 20% week to date. Royal Caribbean down 17%. Netflix off 7%. Let's bring in Tim Seymour of Seymour Asset Management. All right, Tim, let's start with the good news. You look across this landscape right now, and what name steps out, jumps out to you as a a possible buy here? Of those three names, Netflix is the most defensible. Uh, You know, 12 bucks a share, earnings in 23, if you believe that. And I think we've had a chance to reaffirm some of those EPS targets. It's a 15, 16 multiple. Uh, You know, I think the Goldman downgrade, the quote is something along the lines of, it's a show-me stock with few near-term catalysts. And I would buy that. Um, but I, I, I would go back to that even when Netflix was a stock that people put a much higher multiple on, it was a stock that people didn't necessarily feel their sub-growth had to be linear. And I, I just think, uh, look, the fact that they're going to try to remedy some of the multiple devices or the password dynamics, that's, you know, that was a sign of weakness, but it's certainly not something you should penalize the stock for. If anything, that may be reason for some upgrades. I think we've priced a lot of bad news in here. 
All right, let's go to the other two. Uh, one is uh, DocuSign. It's down 72% over the past year. Uh, and the other one is Royal Caribbean, which just can't catch a break. Yeah. No, I, so look, Ty, on, on Royal Caribbean, I, I, would be, uh, I would be more neutral. And I actually think that some of these reopening stocks, and I, I particularly like airlines, but I, I think if you listen to their updates in early May, uh, March and April uh, were essentially getting them back to pre-2019 COVID levels and, and where at least you saw on the revenue side and that they started to see some inflection in, in free cash flow. So the stop of the burn. But right now, it's a story where we're concerned about uh, dilution and equities. And I think that's the dynamic here. And so you wouldn't be a buyer of DocuSign? I think DocuSign, uh, for a company that today beat on revenues and missed on EPS, that, that is what used to work. That's everything that's failing right now. They still need to show profitability. I think uh, while a company that is going to be here tomorrow, a company whose multiple could go lower. Well said. Beat on revenues but missed on EPS. And that is an unforgiving market uh, for that. Tim, we appreciate Indeed. it. Thank you, sir. Okay. Our Tim Seymour joining us today on what has been a very tough day, Ty, yeah, really uh, for the market. Been. And you look through a lot of the stocks that we reference and you see these enormous, make you gasp yeah. declines over the past 72% on DocuSign, 62% on Netflix. Uh, a heck of a lot of them are not just in bear market ter I, territory, but crushed territory. Ray, you want to talk about gasping rates, yep. inflation? Yep. Thanks for watching Power Lunch, everybody. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.